Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Right. Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here on this uh, Sunday and getting back in, in the routine of church. This is what we're calling Welcome Back Weekend, uh, just because um, a lot of you are getting back into the rhythm this weekend. Uh, we'll see some more of that next weekend. I uh, drove through the college a couple times this week, and it was move-in week, and people were everywhere. And it was uh, almost clipped a couple of students, uh, but it was it was uh, an exciting week around Harding. And um, so thank all of you for being here. As a matter of fact, I want to pause for just a moment and pray over everybody going back to school. And so whether you're a student, whether you're an adult learner going back, um, whether you're a teacher, administrator, whatever it is, uh, faculty, uh, we just want to pause for just a moment and pray with you. So let's do that together. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of education and learning and developing and stretching ourselves toward the goal of learning more about our purpose. And so, God, we pray this morning for every student, every teacher, uh, faculty person, administrator, uh, everyone involved in our school systems. Um, God, we just pray for a lot of peace this week. We know everyone is just on fire uh, with tasks. And so, God, would you just bring peace to all of that? Uh, Let everything go smoothly and as it should, as it was planned. And uh, we're going to thank you and give you the glory for that. Keep everyone safe. Let this be a tremendous semester. And we give you all the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, one announcement uh, before I jump into the word today, and that is for all the men in the house, we are starting a, a small group on Friday mornings on September the 2nd called Better Man. And um, so we want to invite you to that. Uh, we'll have breakfast for you. No, no lie, it'll be donuts because that's all that's open at 6 a.m. So uh, we'll have some breakfast for you, some coffee. We'll be going through that, that curriculum for 11 weeks. It'll be 6.30 to 7.30 with a hard stop at 7.30 so that you can get to work. And, of course, if you need to leave earlier than that, you're more than welcome. We're not going to hold that against you. But this Tuesday night at our Conway campus at 6 o'clock, we are having a kickoff event for Better Man. So um, if you would like to go to that, I just want to invite you. It would be awesome for Cersei to have a large representation of our men there. It's going to be great. Uh, We'll have an exciting service, lots of games, fun stuff. Um, I think the campus pastors are uh, sumo wrestling. I don't know what all that's going to entail, but I'm going to lose. I can tell you that. Um, So uh, you want to come. This Tuesday, 6 o'clock, to the Conway campus, okay? Do not come here because no one will be here. Uh, Go to Conway, all right? So if you want to uh, be a part of that, it's going to be great. I want to um, set up a series that I'm going to talk about for the next month. And this series is a comeback series. It's, It's got strong language with it. Um, it is a, a series that um, I'm going to enjoy. I hope you enjoy it too. Uh, just prepping it out. There have been a couple of twinge moments in my own life where, you know, the Holy Spirit has already said you're going to have to do better yourself in that. 
Um, and I always like that. I always love the, uh, the growing process and following Christ. And so I think this is going to be a big challenge to our church. What I'm going to ask of you is over the next month to not, not only be here, but to engage it. Uh, to constantly ask yourself, what part of this is for me personally or for my family? So as we look to turn a chapter in our church specifically of routine, of coming back together, of looking at uh, the mission of our own church and what that means for every single person here, this is the message series that I want to engage you with. So this is the first message of four and today I'm going to just tee it up. I'm not going to use a text to talk it out. I'm just going to set this series up really nice and tight, hopefully, if I do that well. And um, we'll hop into this over the next three weeks after that. But I want to um, hop in here and talk just a little bit about family, my family, and, um, and, and a story that's going to involve the main, the main theme here. Around 1940, my grandparents were, were married. This is my, my father's mission at Pearl Harbor during World War II. And um, my, my grandmother was giving birth to my father in 1944. And he was at Pearl Harbor. And he did not get to meet my dad until my dad was almost one. But in 1945, um, he was able to come home. And he returned and started a new career as a heavy equipment operator. And they bought a nice little house in Little Rock and began to fill that house um, with kids and with stuff. And they bought one important piece of furniture, and that was a couch. It kind of looked like this, okay? If we have this picture, there it is. It, just just leave, leave, leave it up. I want this to just soak in really well. So this, this beauty here, um, all of you have seen this at your grandparents' house, most of you. Um, it's beautiful. When you lay down to, to sleep on it, it will smell a lot like a mothball um, because, or heavy, heavy doses of Scotchgard. Um, either way, this was found in every home. Leave, leave it up. I don't want that going anywhere. This couch, I'm sure, for the day was in style. When they saw this, they said, we got to have that. It's going to look great in our new home. Um, people are going to love it. This is going to be a conversation starter. It's still a conversation starter. Um, they're they're going to love this, so let's get it. And it was, I'm sure, a stretch for them financially to invest in this. Wasn't comfortable adulting and buying a couch for your house. But they bought this. And they treated it like the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Like, it's so important, this couch. And you fast forward from when they bought this in the mid-40s to the 70s, they now had grandkids, and they still had that couch, okay? And so it was now 25 years old, and for us grandkids, it came with rules. And these were the rules. I re remember them well. No eating on it. No jumping on it. No roughhousing on it. No sitting on it. No looking at it. Okay? Act like it's not here. Those were the rules for the boys. And at this point in the 70s, in that couch's history... It was covered in a tight-fitting plastic wrap, 
Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Your grandma covered it in a plastic wrap to keep sweet tea off of it and coffee. It was that important. And so it was great. And if you had, you know, uh, if, if you were wearing shorts and you sat on it, it felt cool to the touch. And then when you decided to get up as a trespass offering, the couch kept the skin that covered your hamstrings, right? Because of this, we gave that couch a nickname. We called it Skin Graft, okay? That was the couch's name. And so the plastic would just peel the skin right off of you. And here's my point to this story, and it's going to be the motive for this series. This couch was a staple in my grandparents' home. And although it was great in 1945, over the years it became more of an object to be protected than one to be enjoyed. It became something to manage rather than something that fostered friendship and conversation. It became a, whoa, 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 let's, let's be careful with that, more than it became the ultimate way to express friendships and to gather, which was its purpose. Sadly, Christians frequently live out their doctrine much like that couch. So what starts as an exciting vehicle for faith quickly evolves into a rigid religion. What starts off as someone who's just glad to follow Jesus, who's just glad that their life has changed, who feels that initial work of the Spirit in their life that says, I'm not the same as I was yesterday or the day before, but my life is different, and that zeal, that initial burst into life quickly becomes filled with rigidity or rules or just dogma that is very, very difficult to follow, and it becomes defeating. And I'm, I'm going to use a word that I, I use frequently, and I don't want it to ever be offensive, but I also want to be real, and that is that many people after years speak in a language to me that communicates this. I am bored with my Christianity. Remember what it was like to follow Jesus early it was exciting and it was full of zeal and I was everything sister to me and and I felt my life turning but now after so many years it feels more heavy and depressing and like I feel less 20 years than I did after minutes and that should be an alarm to us to say something has gone awry and Matthew, in Matthew chapter 15, this will be the only scripture that I'm, I'm going to use today because I'm just teeing this up. But Matthew 15 verse 3, let me read this to you in the NIV. The context here is Jesus is confronting religious leaders and they are upset that, that the disciples have eaten without washing their hands. And Jesus says to them, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? All right? Why are you not following what, what the heart of God is over a tradition that you have built yourself? 
He goes on one or two verses later to call them hypocrites. He says, man, this is, this is hypocritical of you. You're saying one thing, doing another, or vice versa, and, and the two parts of your life are not, not adding up. Do not break the command of God for the sake of tradition. And yeah, this teaching has a lot of culture with it. It has a lot of context to it. But this question can easily roll forward to us this morning and ask us the same question as to why are we caught up in things we've made rather than coming back to just following the heart of God. And I think so much in this day and time, what they're now calling the post-Christian culture, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, but it's very, very difficult for the church to, to take hard stands and to say, well, this is, what, this is what the Bible is saying because you're being met with so much of a cultural tidal wave that it doesn't, it doesn't feel comfortable to talk out those, those beliefs that we feel are anchored to Scripture. So I'm going to talk in generality here for just a moment, but many Christians, maybe I've done it, maybe you've done it. Maybe there are entire groups of people continuing to do it, and the intention is good, but the outcome is poor in that we are standing guard or have stood guard over traditions that do not even have an origin in Scripture. But in the Reformation period of 1500s England, and so we've brought something that is 500 years old rather than the 2,000-year-old original story of Jesus Christ we're following something from a Reformation period and we've lifted those things up and we've brought those traditions here and we've said this is what church has to look like, be like, feel like, and if not, you're not part of it. And because of that, a lot of people have left, a lot of people have become unchurched, a lot of people have, have, have become de-churched, dissatisfied, or to use the word I used five minutes ago, bored with their faith. Like a mother bear over her cubs, the church protected. Now, stay with me, okay? It's going to get, it's a slippery slope for the next few minutes. We protected for years the pews, communion tables, ornate pulpits, stained glass, and those things were expensive and they served a purpose. And a lot of you gave money that bought those items. And they filled those pews up. I'm not talking bad about those. I'm talking bad about the protection of them. So let's guard those things even if it gets ugly. But it didn't stop. The modern church then defended procedure and protocol. And if we're being honest, some of you took a break from church because you are exhausted by procedure and protocol. Let me give you some examples of that. Well, what exactly should be said during baptism? And an argument developed between people following Jesus. So we think you need to dunk this way, you need to dunk that way. Some, you know, we're supposed to sprinkle. No, we got to get them all the way wet. Wait, you let their ear is dry. Get them back in there again. 
and, 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 and we, we worked out this process and protocol for the baptism of somebody. I was recently talking with a friend, and he said, truth, man, this came up in our church once, and it was, it was epic. He said the, the conversation was, shouldn't the water be moving water? Because it's washing your sin away. And so it needs to be a river or a creek so that your sins go downstream. Is it, are y'all listening? Are y'all in shock like I am? And he was like, because if you just use a stationary tank and three people go before you, well, you might get out with more sin than you got in with. And I was like, I said, this makes my brain hurt. I, I'm so glad I was not involved in this conversation. This is like the, 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 the 80s. It's like, we have no one to win, so now we have to talk about moving water? Another big question, should communion be real wine or fresh juice? This was an argument. Now, I know, y'all, and I know what you would vote for, so I'm just going to move on. <laughs> Kevin, what if we brought our own wine? What if... What if we brought our own collection? I love when I'm celebrating the Lord to bring a Cabernet. It's amazing. I remember when our, our church once, and I was, I was growing up, we had so much communion cup spilled everywhere, and we, you know everything was carpeted. So it was everywhere, and our pastor made this de decision to move from red juice to white juice. You would have thought somebody had taught that Jesus was not the Son of God because it has to be the color of blood. If it was not the color of blood, I was like, hang on, you guys know this is not blood, right? Like this is not blood, not of a human, not of an animal, nothing. But it turns to blood, right? It, 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 it's this whole big thing, and this, this became procedure and protocol. Can a church clap its hands? Can a church raise its hands? Can a church maintain a membership? Can a woman teach? Can a woman lead singing? Can a woman wear blue jeans? Y'all were fine until the 70s. And then Jordash came out, and you just had to have it. You're like, well, if we got to be quiet, we might as well look good doing it. <laughs> Pastor, can I buy lottery tickets if I promise to tithe? Like, if, if, if I promise 10% off the top. Like, if I get $5 million, it's coming in, baby. You know what I always say? Yeah. Do it. Matter of fact, buy it. Let's lay hands on it. Let's pray, God, let's, let this be the winning number. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. As a member of, of the church, this, this is serious. As a member of, of the church, we ask questions. Can you smoke, dip, drink, have tats? Can you have piercings? If so, where? In your ear? Well, how many in your ear? How many is too much? What about your nose, your eyebrow, your lip? I had a, a buddy of mine one time, he was running a youth camp, and he said this kid shows up for camp, and he's got a piercing in his eyebrow, and it has, it has a little bitty chain on it, and it comes down, it connects to his nose, and then his lip, and then his wallet. And you got to know my, my, my friend to get this, but since we all live in the South, you're going to understand this. He goes, son, I reckon if I stole your wallet, I'd steal half your face. And we, we, we want to know, like, when is the work of God kicking in on that dude till he starts removing stuff? 
course, when I was growing up, you guys know how I, I was raised. So, you know, the dress was, the dress style was, was very strong. It was, you know, you can wear this, you can't wear that. Your hair needs to be cut short if you're a dude. You, you, you gotta, you know, this is stuff that honors God. And, and, and suddenly protocol, I, I myself began to lose the zeal as to why I was actually following Jesus. You know, like, man, I, 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 all, all I wanted to do was, was love God and love people and, and whatever we got to do to stay between those guidelines, then let's do that because that sounds fun. And you quickly were told like, hey, following Jesus is not fun. You do all of these things because if not, we even brought hell into it. If you don't do this, then I don't know, you know, eternity for you might be a different place. And it became so, so hard. And all of these things that I just mentioned and thousands of other examples can quickly move. Watch this. Can quickly escalate, even in one generation's time, from an idea to a practice to a tradition to a core belief to something that we've equated to even being like Scripture. And it's nowhere in there. And man, we, we, we become rigid to it and we, we want to, to, to protect it and we, wanna, we want it to stay exactly like that. And over time, we don't know when it happens, we just know that it happens. People and families and groups and entire churches, even denominations become that couch. Locked in a period of time, covering it in plastic, Hoping that no fault can be done to it. Let's protect it. Let's treat it as it's sacred. No one look at it. No one sit on it. No one enjoy it for its purpose. And the church becomes this place where people come in and they give their heart to Christ. And from there, we, other, believer, other believers, sabotage them. It's us that oftentimes puts up so much resistance to that. What starts off as warm theology by which others can enjoy a fellowship of faith evolves into something that's covered in plastic where you have to ask permission to even move the cushions. So we're going to have to intentionally combat a post-Christian culture that is tempting the church to just look at its traditions to keep it alive. Hear me. The church has never fulfilled its mission in any era when it exchanged relationship with Christ with rules on the best way to follow him. The most alive we have ever seen the church since the resurrection of Jesus is when believers took ownership of the mission of Jesus. That's what made it exciting. I get to be a part of this story, not just hear it. That my life has purpose in the story of Jesus. That someone from 2,000 years ago told this story, who told this story, who told this story, who told this story, and it ended up in my lap. And I get to participate. I get to share the story. I get to tell someone how their life can be changed. I get to tell someone how, how they, they can be healed from a, life, from a life that they do not enjoy. I get to be a part of that. And that's what makes your Christianity exciting. So I'm, I'm going to ask us one question today, and it's this. 
It's a big one. It's probably one I'm going to ask every week in this series, and it's this. This is big. Is the church just a place for you, or is it personal? Is the church just a place for us, or is it personal? Let me break, break this down. You guys uh, saw Greg Rowden this morning come up and MC. We gave him a list of words he couldn't use. We have to always police him. It's embarrassing, but we're at the bottom of the barrel, if you know what I mean. If you go to Sonic for lunch, you might see Greg. And he might say to you, hey, thank you for stopping in. He might come up to your car. I've seen him do it a hundred times. Hey, is your food good? Everything good? He might walk down, giving thumbs up to everybody, wanting to know what's going on, everything okay. And that's great. But what he does not expect of you as a customer is for you to leave, and on your way out, you pass up those big commercial trash cans, and you stop. And you get out, and you lift the lid on it, and you pull that big old sack of trash out, you tie a knot in the top, and you walk it over to his dumpster and throw it over into it, go back to your car, use lots of Germex, and get back in and drive off. He does not expect that of you. You want to know why? Because Sonic, for most of you, is a place, and he gets that. They provide a product, you pay for it, and that exchange is over. Now, if you have lunch with Greg on Monday morning or Monday af afternoon, and then he sees you at Colton's at that, that, that night, he didn't come up to your table and say, what are you doing here? I thought you loved Sonic. <laughs> you can't eat here. Are, are, are we not friends? Did I hurt your feelings? No. Why? Because he understands Colton's is a place. And you may have your three or four or five favorites, but you're going to go to all three or four or five of those and get your favorite thing on, on, on the menu because they provide you a product and you like it and you're willing to pay for it. Now, the people who will empty those trash cans are called employees. They do it because it's connected to a paycheck. Not a single Sonic employee gets up in the morning and says, I cannot wait for the noon rush today because right after I get to empty trash cans. It's going to be so good. This is the best Monday ever. I just hope it's raining to add to all this. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, what they do get out of bed saying is, do I get paid Friday? Because their ability to empty that trash is tethered to the fact that they're getting paid for it. But if you see or if you take Greg himself, Sonic is not just a place. When he bought his first store, this feels like a Sonic camera. Do I get free anything out of this? <laughs> when he bought his first store, I can assure you he was all of, the, all of those things. He was the cook and the car hop and the trash guy, and he power washed a few stalls in his day. And why would he do that? Because it's his brand he invested in it. It's his livelihood, and it is very, very personal to him. It's not a place. And any of you who have built anything in your life with your hands, you feel the same way. It is not a place. It is very personal. 
The gum stuck on the concrete to you is personal. And somebody's going to get it up. And if you got to walk out there with a scraper, you're going to do it yourself because you don't want gum on your concrete because it's yours. It's personal. When we see church as just a place, it is something that we can easily leave. It is something we can take time out with. It is easily something that we can be offended toward. It is easily something that we can put on the bottom of the weekend list. It is something that we can easily go, they don't need me, they don't miss me, they don't want me, when it's just a place to you. But when it's personal, things shift. Things change completely. When you see the church as just a place, you can attend when you want, commit to nothing, give nothing, distance yourself from any spiritual obligation because you don't have skin in the game. It's not personal. It's just a place that for you, you say they provide something for me that I like. And that feels like it's the exchange for you. But it's not personal. That shift for us to be the church in this culture, we, we, got, we got to make this right. We got to win in this. We got to have, have people, all of us, 100% of us, to say, that is my church. I take ownership of it. It is mine. I love it. I serve it. I give to it. I cry for it. I pray over it. I'm believing God for it. We're on a, on a mission with them because it is my church. There's a popular uh, church attendance model right right now. And this is very sad to me. And if you do this, I'm not calling you out. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know if any of you do this at all, but it's popular right now. This church attendance model is, is this. It's people who say, listen, Kevin, I, I, I just want to be part of the big church, capital C. So I, I attend 10 different churches. I go to one a week. It takes me about two months to get through all of them. And then I'm back to, to the first one. And so, you know, I attend each one five times per year. And I know people in all of them. And I know people in all of them, but I don't claim any of them at, at, as, as home because it's, they're, they're all home to me. Listen to me. I'm going to be very straight. This does not edify or build up any of those churches. And every time Paul addressed a church, he was saying, your gift, your contribution is to edify the local body, to build it up, for you to serve it, for you to love it, for you to be, be part of it. And going around and cycling through 10 churches doesn't edify anything. Now, wait, this is going to be the strongest thing I say all morning, so be careful that you don't get offended here. But, Kevin, I put a $20 bill in the offering at all 10. This is a principle called tipping your conscience. What that means is you want to leave with having done just enough of something that you feel like you've helped, but you haven't. No one can find you in a, in a, in a life group. No one can find you teaching anything. No one can find you parking a car. No one can find you serving a kid. But there's a $20 bill in the offering at all 10 of those churches that has your DNA on it. And we say, man, that's, that's really helping. No, it's 
teachings of Jesus is to take up a cross and follow him. Following Jesus is going to have some discomfort. It's got to have some blood on the field. It's got to have some sweat and tears behind it. It's got to have a group of people behind this. We can roll this thing collectively. What's been so hard in the past couple of years, and you guys have felt it too, but churches everywhere lost their engine. They lost their people. And the church is not this building. It's not this sheetrock. It's not this stage. It's not that light. It's not this microphone. You and I are the church. And if we met tonight at the barn on the Landis farm, guess what? We're having church because you're there. You're there. Don't let your attitude toward the church become like a Yelp review. Well, new life, three out of five stars. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. The thing I hate the most about social media, people go in our church and they'll get one star on there. And I'm like, really? That's what the You come in, somebody didn't greet you, your coffee wasn't warm, your seat had a hair on it. I gave them a one star. And you're looking at somebody who needs a work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're one of those one star people, I hope you're here this morning to hear that. You need a work of the Holy Spirit. Because that's nothing what the church is about. It's not about reviewing products. We don't have a product to sell you. This is the mission of Jesus Christ. It's the most important institution in the world. I should say something funny. I guess to, I, I need to lighten the room up a little bit. I'm behind. Let me, let me give you quickly. Let, let me talk this out in two, two minutes. Three signs that it's personal, and this is what I'm going to talk about for the next three weeks. Number one, it's personal when you're serving the church with your gift. This week, and I'm going to say it to you. Here, here's, here's my thought. Do you know that we don't need new people to show up to get the work done around here? We need those who are already here. Are you serving the church with your gift? Two, are you giving toward its mission with your resources? I've always been honest with you about resources here. We do a lot with it. We plant churches, we raise up pastors, we train pastors nonstop. This isn't a once a year thing. It's a nonstop journey to raise up life-giving churches. During COVID, a third of our people stopped giving, came back and started again. Three, are you intentionally being active in the lives of those around you? If you come into church and you leave the second it's over and you don't talk to anybody, you cannot say we're not an unfriendly church. Unfair. Are you intentionally getting involved in the lives of the people here? Are you introducing yourself to people? Are you asking people to go to lunch with you? Are you getting in life groups? Are you connecting? Are you at home? Are you intentionally doing that? Because the church 
in the New Testament, this may have been a terrible church planning model, but they met every day. Why? Because they couldn't get enough of each other. They couldn't get enough of, of the Spirit and what He was doing and sharing life together. And this, this gets into that, that area in the, in the book of Acts where it says, if any of them needed anything, they would just give it. Like, you, your table broke? Well, I got two. Well, my kids, you're ahead of them. I know we got clothes they've grown up. We'll give you some clothes. Are you intentionally involved in the lives of people? Don't make the church as its entity like something you experience daily in the culture, because it's not. The church is moving, it is active, it is transformational, requires every single person in this room to be involved. I'm gonna close with this. I got I got more, but I y'all are so glad because this is a hard sermon. A couple years ago, uh, I heard, and those of you know, I, I in my young days I was a student pastor at Faith Assembly of God on Highway 16. And a couple years ago, their church burnt. Their their old original sanctuary burned down. So um, I, I didn't I didn't want to rush out there and. And, and just be in the way or be, be weird about it. But you could see it burning from our parking lot. I walked outside and you could just see the just smoke. Later that day, I drove by and there was a, a line of people and every water truck in that area was filling up and out there still working it way into the night. But I rolled the window down just, just to hear the sounds of the And I could hear people crying in the parking lot. To those people, that was personal. I think it's because you, when, when the church is personal to you, like it, like those people crying over that, they knew, like, third row on the right, about the fifth seat, is where I gave my heart to the Lord. And to see that sacred spot just burn up, hurt them. My kids got baptized in that, in that tank. And to see it just being a molten ball of plastic just broke their heart. To know that their grandparents put all that beautiful wood on the ceiling of that sanctuary and just burn up. It was personal to them. And I realize when you're a young church, you don't have a hundred-year history. Some of that goes away. But man, this, this thing's got to be personal for us. If we really want to it's got to be something you feel and I feel. We got to feel it everywhere in our commitment. We got to feel it in, a, in our, our wallet. And I'm not, I'm not here to pull for money but the ministry has always required the resource of its people since the tabernacle it's required it to push it forward the reason why I kept this at 10 o'clock was for this to push you together 
you together. To make you see each other. To look at each other. To hear that guy three rows behind you that cannot at all sing out loud the Lord. Because that makes us who we are. That's who we are. And it's got to be personal, all right? I hope I didn't hurt your feelings this morning. And if you're new and I came off that way, I apologize to you. But those of you that know me, hear my heart, okay? I'm not beating you up. I'm just breaking bread 